So I'm going to say that again and like to have your response. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. I want to draw your attention to John chapter 20. Uh, that's the passage for us today. And if you would uh, rise with me as I read God's word. John chapter 20, reading from verses 1 to 18. John 20, 1 to 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We, have, we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping and looking and looking to look in, he saw that the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth by, by which Jesus had had been on, which had been on Jesus's head, excuse me, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. And as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept, and she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one of the head and one of the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, th this is where our key verses start, verse 15 to 18. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, he, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to her in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had, and he had said these things to her. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Thank you, O oh Lord, as we have come here, that your spirit would feed us. We need to be fed. All we have is five loaves and two fish, and even that is borrowed. Even that, O oh Lord, is what you've given. And so, Father, we pray as we sit that you would take this word and multiply it, feed our souls, and satisfy our hunger, O oh God, in Jesus Christ. In him alone we pray. Thank you for answering our prayers. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You know, there are two scenes I'll never forget in my life, the two memorable scenes. One is when I went and saw the Taj in Agra, India. Uh, we were part of a group, and it was a transport that brought us through crowded streets. It was hot. It was uh, full of hawkers, dirty, 
And I just said, no, I'm not getting out of the strand. I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to come. And the person who was with me said, no, that's all right. You've come this far. Just, just come and see the Taj. And if you don't like it, then you can come back. And I said, all right, I'll do that. So to get to the Taj, you'd have to stand on a line that winds, and then it bends in to the right kind of, and you get in through, an, uh, through a doorway, and then you turn, and there is this arch, a big arch, and against the blue backdrop is this white gleaming marble edifice will just shock you. It's just the most wonderful scene ever. I remember standing there and I said, wow. It just catches your attention. No wonder it's called the seven wonders of the world. The other memorable thing was about some years ago, uh, uh, we as a family were in Iowa, out in the, almost like in the boonies, and after dinner, we sat out and we were looking up into the night sky. And I'll tell you, that day, all of us had a crick in our neck because we couldn't just get our eyes off the beauty of the sky. The star-lit sky was just so beautiful. But if you were to ask Mary, what is the memorable thing that captures your heart? What is that one thing, if you were to say that this is something I won't forget, I think she would quote verse 18. And she would say, I've seen the Lord. She's talking to the angels, and I don't know, this seems almost, uh, you know, this is my understanding, but, you know, she would have seen into the eyes of the angels that became like saucers, like suddenly, like something. She turns around, and there's the Lord standing there, you know. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. That is something that transformed her. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is this, that if we say that we have seen the Lord, if we say that we have seen the risen Lord, what should our response be? Will it be like Mary Magdalene, who was so captivated, so captured, her enthusiasm, her, uh, her expression of that belief and the proclamation of the risen Christ? Will that be true of us? Okay, and so, uh, so keeping that in mind, what I'd like you to do is to turn back to verse 15. From there on, I want to bring to you five things that if Mary Magdalene were to come and say to us, listen, I want to say to you, I've seen the risen Lord, and these are the things that he told me. What would be those four things? And I want to say that those four things are found in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. Verse 15, she would say, I've seen the Lord, and he told me not to cry. Verse 16, I've seen the Lord, and he called me by my name. Verse 17, I've seen the Lord, and he told me not to cling on. And verse 18, I've seen the Lord, and he told me to go and tell. And so we'll go through this one by one to see what that really means to us. So verse 15 says, I've seen the Lord, and he told me not to cry. The Lord says, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I, I think that's a very insensitive question. Why would somebody ask at the gravesite, why are you crying? And if you've lost someone, you know what it is, right? You heard platitudes. You would hear, hear people say, why are you crying? He's in a better place. Why are you crying? She's not suffering. Why are you crying? The Lord knows best. And we've heard all of that, and we want to say to them, just be quiet. Just agree with me. Don't don't say these things, right? 
And yet this person who asked this question, why are you weeping? He has an absolute right. He's got two reasons why he should ask this question. Let me give you those two reasons why. The first reason is because he wept with the one who weeps. He wept with us. John 11 is a great example, isn't it? John 11, he has come and he's standing outside the grave of Lazarus. There is Martha and there is Mary whom he loved. And the people looking at those Jews, he sees their sorrow and then he weeps. But in just a few minutes, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what he's going to do. But here is a God who came, who weeps with us. He's emotionally, <clears throat> he's emotionally invested in us. He's not apart from emotion. He's not just because he is the all-aware God does not take away his empathy with us. He empathizes with us. He knows what you're feeling. That's why the Hebrew writer says, we do not, not, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And what that means is we have a high priest, we have a God who knows exactly how we feel. The psalmist writes it beautifully. He says, your tears have I bottled, put in a bottle. It's precious to him that you are grieving. He grieves with those who grieved. But there's also a second reason, because he is the one who can wipe those tears away. He is the one who just rose from the dead. He has taken your sins away. Every cause for sorrow has been removed, has been vindicated. He's the victorious one. We get to Revelation 21. It's a prophecy from Isaiah which says that he will wipe away all our tears. Amen. That is Jesus Christ. The song that... Um, Bill Gaither had written, remember the uh, song, um, uh, Because He Lives? Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. For the longest time, we would, we would, um, uh, we would sing, All Tear Is Gone. No, our tears are not gone as yet. The cause for the tears are gone, true, because he's victorious, but there's going to come a time when our tear is going to be wiped away. I, I love this other part of the song uh, of the Amazing Grace, the song which says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." You know what the hymn writer is saying so beautifully? He, the grace has taught me to fear the right thing. Grace taught me how to fear. Grace taught me, has relieved me of my fear. The wrong, uh, you know, bondage of a fear, I'm no more cap, uh, held captive by that. I heard a story recently by James Boyce who speaks about his, his friend who is a preacher, had gone to England. And there in England, he meets with a young woman who had come, just, just returned back from the U.S. because uh, she had gone to U.S. thinking that that's the place for 
for your dreams to come true, the land of opportunities. But she fell into bad company, and there she was used and abused. She was passed from man to man, and she came back home broken, dejected, bitter, and just utterly in a sad place. And when the preacher says, would you come? I want to share with you the gospel. She says, no, no. As the preacher says, can I at least pray for you? Uh, and so she says, I don't care. You can do what you want. And so he starts to pray. And halfway through the prayer, this preacher is so gripped by the burden of the Holy Spirit that he starts to weep over her and as she cries. And then and then as the prayer is done, the preacher says, okay, let me, you know, I need to go now and to preach. And so she says, no, you preach to me now. You're, I'm ready to hear you because no man has ever cried for me. And I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, the one who was willing to take our place. And so this resurrection day Jesus is saying to us, or Mary is saying to us about this Jesus. He is the one who's willing to weep with us. He is the one who made it possible for the tears to be wiped away. And just that moment and that confrontation with Jesus, her weeping heart was transformed into a witnessing heart. She's the one who gets up and runs to to the disciples to tell about Jesus Christ. And so in this verse, the message of the resurrected Christ is that, that we have undying hope in Christ, undying hope in Christ. Our dreams, our hopes may be shattered. It may, you may have depended on things and people. They have, they have failed you, but here is Jesus Christ. If you put your hope in him, Mary says, it will never die because he alone is the victorious one. He is the one who can trust. He is the one who empathizes, who understands you, and he is the one who wipes away your tear. You know, even that uh, R.I.P., rest in peace. It's a Christian confession. Did you ever recognize that? No other people apart from Christ can claim that death is actually a rest in peace. Death is not the dead end. Grave is not the victor. Christ is the victor. And so our tears are wiped away. Verse 16. I've seen the Lord, and he called me by my name. He called me by my name. Mary Magdalene, she is referenced 12 times in the Gospels. Sometimes uh, she is actually referred more than some of the apostles. She's the one who was a woman who ministered to Jesus during his earthly ministry. He's the one who, she's the one who was standing by the cross. She's the one who knew where Jesus was buried. She was the one who was there early morning on that Easter Sunday to, to go and then to anoint her, anoint the, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this woman has been a victim of mistaken identity, uh, identity fraud. 
because through history, she has been compared to the woman with the loose morals as the woman who uh, broke the alabaster box and wiped the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ with her head. She has been even compared to be Mary, the sister of, Mag of Martha and of Lazarus, but Bible makes no correspondence. The only thing that we can read about Mary Magdalene is written in seven words, and it says there, from whom Jesus had cast seven demons. That's just it. it the past is no more being elaborated. Here we have Jesus saying simply, Mary, Mary. No mistaking. A tender call and a distinctive call. Jesus had previously said, my sheep know my voice. And Mary knew when she heard the voice being, when she was called out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I asked myself, what does the such tenderness about Jesus Christ teach us. What, what is the learning? What is it that we, we can learn? How can we comfort ourselves? And I want to say this, that there are many, you may have come across, and maybe even you, there are many who are called names, but rarely by your name, who are called, but rarely lovingly. And here we have Jesus, and Mary says, listen to this gentle voice of the resurrected Jesus as he calls you softly and tenderly. I want to suggest to you, name gives identity. I don't know if you knew this, but the Dalits in India, you've heard of the, uh, of the Dalits, this is part of the caste system. You may have heard of the untouchables, or even as Gandhi would call them, uh, Harijans, which means the son or children of God. But in the caste system, they were the untouchables. They had no identity in the society. If you ask them their name, they only have the first name. They don't have the last name. When you hear that, you know who they are. In India, by the last name, you are identified as to who you are. You see, name gives identity. That's what it is. Identity is so important to each one of us, and Jesus calls by that name, identity. One of, my, one of the movies I really like watching is the Bourne series, Jason Bourne. I don't know if there are any fans here, but uh, there is a scene where Jason Bourne is in a restaurant in the, uh, somewhere in the Alps in Switzerland, and he is talking to the girl, and he says, you know, when I come in to a place like this, the first thing I see is to look for the exits. I know the license plates of the six cars that are parked outside. I know this waitress is left-handed. I know this man is, weighs about 215 pounds and he can take care of himself. I know where to look for a gun among the cars. It's the gray car in the cab of the gray car. I know all that, but I don't know who I am. And the plot of the movie is about him trying to find his identity. We are sometimes like this. We have a lot of information. Google might consider you to be competition because you know so much. And yet, we don't know who we are. Knowledge is not what defines us, but whose we are defines who we are. And Mary is saying, this Jesus called out to me by my name. I am his. 
and that's what defines me. That's my identity. I've seen the risen Lord, and he called me by my name. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that whoever is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. When you get to Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, we read that they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. He gives us his identity. We are called his. What a joy. We don't have to struggle to make our own name for ourselves because he is the one who says, you trust in me, the risen Lord, I give you my identity. Mary says, I have been called. And I want us to understand it's not something that you earn. It's not something that you work for. It's a gift. It's a gift. Mary would definitely say that. I've got nothing that I can say that I should have ever gotten this gift. And so the message of the resurrected Christ is this that the unearned worth is in Christ alone. You want your worth, which is not something that you work for, but it's a glorious worth. You will find that in Jesus Christ. There's undying hope in Christ. There's also this unearned worth in Christ Jesus. Verse 17. I've seen the Lord, and he told me not to cling on. We don't know fully what's transpiring here, but what's interesting, what caught my attention is that it's, it's interesting that she isn't caught up about this, uh, about the resurrection. She isn't saying, wow, God, uh, like, Lord, how did he do that? Can he just show to me, like, how did he move that stone? Like, like, tell me a little bit more about the resurrection. She's not caught up about the resurrection. She's caught up with the Lord. The blessing of the resurrection is nothing to her as, as, who the, as who Christ himself is, the resurrected one. Christ is the one who captures her heart. And Jesus says, don't cling on. You see, Mary was clinging on to this physical presence of Jesus Christ. She thought, I've lost him once. I'm not going to lose him again. And she clings on. But let me give you two reasons why I think Jesus is saying you don't need to cling on to me. Because first reason, my spiritual presence is better than my physical presence. My spiritual presence is better than my physical presence. In my physical presence, I might be limited where I am, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you spiritually. In John chapter 16, he says, it's better for me to go because I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send the one who is going to be with you forever. And the word that he uses there in Greek, you have this word for another as in two different kinds of words. One is elos and the other is heteros. Elos is of the same kind. Heteros is of another kind. If you give me a fruit and you give me an apple and I say, hey, can I have an elos? 
you would give me another apple. But if you say, if I say, give me an heteros, you would give me an orange instead of an apple. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you an alos, another of the same kind, comforter, who's going to be with you forever. And so you don't have to worry. The spiritual is better than the physical. But the second reason is this. The second reason is this, that you will never lose me again. I'm not going to die again. I died so that you will not be ever separated from me. You don't have to cling on. It's not you clinging on that makes your salvation secure. It is the work that I did on the cross that secures your salvation, that secures your security, that you can have peace, that you can have joy, you can have strength. It is in Jesus Christ, not in Mary or us clinging on. Isn't that true? Jim Elliott said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, eternal death has been defeated and so that there would be no eternal separation. So we know this. We know this, right? I mean, this is not something new I'm telling you, but do we live this? That's the, that's the question I have to ask. Do we live it? I, I'm telling you, a lot of us are, are missing Christ by a nanosecond. Now, you have to ask me what that means. That's, you know, I made it up, okay? All right, now. You see, light travels at a speed of 300,000 kilometers a second. But in a millionth of a second, it travels 11.6 inches. That's about the distance between your head and your heart. We know it in the head. We know the truths of God's word. We know it. But do we embrace it? Do we live it? Do, are we able to trust our lives on the, on the truths of what we know about Jesus Christ? The difference between the head and the heart makes a difference as to what kind of a Christian we might be living. And the message of the resurrected Christ to us is this. Because I rose again, you can have eternal life. That the unending life is in Christ alone. The undying hope is in Christ. The unearned worth is in Christ. And there is this unending life that can be found in Jesus Christ. The, the one who died lives forever, and because of that, we can live with him forever. Verse 18 says, I've seen the Lord, and he told me to go and tell. Mary Magdalene has been known or been called as the apostle to the apostles. What an honor to be the one, the first one, to be able to go with the message of the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus says, go tell my brothers, go tell them what you have seen. You see, the truth is this, Jesus could have done that, and he does that later. But he first gives the privilege to Mary. Did you get that? Like, he wasn't dependent on Mary to go and tell about this resurrection, uh, that, you know, about the resurrected Christ. 
But he sends Mary. And he sends us today. Those of us who have seen the king, the risen king, he sends us today, not because he cannot do it, not because his angels cannot fulfill the great commission as quickly as possible, but he gives us, you and I, the privilege because you and I have seen the risen Christ. And when we've seen the risen Christ and we are impacted like Mary Magdalene, there's nothing but that, that, that can prevent us from heading out to tell the story to be gripped the way Mary was. And Jesus knew that these disciples, they needed to hear the resurrection story. Their hopes are gone, their dreams are broken, and they needed to hear about this wonderful news of the resurrection. And he sends Mary Magdalene. One of the... Uh, one of these shows that I watch in my downtime is uh, Foolers by Penn and Teller. It's not a plug, but, um, but I watch, you know, I like the magic that they put out and the tricks and the illusions and all of that. But uh, Penn is also an avowed atheist. And there's an interview, if you search it, you will find it. He says in that interview, I do not respect people who do not proselytize. He says, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone not to go and tell them the truth that you think is, you know is true, that you would keep it to yourself? How much do you have to hate that person not to go and tell the good news? I need to tell them about Jesus who came to them, who lived like them, and who died for them. You may have heard of the story of Joseph, Mol Joseph, uh, sorry, Joseph Damien of Molokai, who was uh, laboring in a leper colony in Hawaii. He's a Belgian priest, and he had heard that these, everybody who had leprosy was sent into this island, and it was just a terrible life. They, they would just go there and die there, and he moves in there to be their priest. And he's, he writes to his brother, and he says, I'll be a leper to these lepers so that I can win them to Christ. And he serves there for 18 years. He lives with them. He, he uh, eats with them. <coughs> he becomes one of them. And one of the days as uh, he was pouring hot water, hot water falls on his feet and he doesn't feel the burn and he immediately knows that he has now contracted leprosy. And next Sunday he gets up there, usually he would say, dear brothers and sisters, and that day he said, dear fellow lepers, and they all knew what it meant. Till that time, it was very difficult for him to reach the gospel to everybody and they would just do what they wanted but when they realized that here is a here is a person who was whole who didn't need to come but came lived among them contracted leprosy and that they would still love them the church was packed to capacity and these 
people were led to Christ. We have Jesus Christ who came, who did not need to come. He came, he became like us, and yet without sin, but he lived among us, and he died for us. That's the message that we have, the message of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he is God, as God alone can rise, take, lay down his life, and take up his life, and he does that to show that he is the victorious one. That's the message that we give. But you might ask, you know, those among us might ask, like, how do they get to see Jesus? Now you're saying it's great that you're saying that, you know, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, but we don't get to see Jesus. How is, you know, how do you correlate this? How do I go and tell someone? You see, um, um, the message, uh, let me just back up, I want to say this, that the message of the resurrected Christ to us from verse 18 is the unbridled joy that we have in Christ alone. So the undying hope in Christ, the unearned worth in Christ, the unending life in Christ, and there's also the unbridled joy in Christ. But now let me address this question, what Augustine was asked. He was uh, he was confronted by somebody who held up his idol and said sarcastically, <coughs> here's my God, where is yours? To which Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because he doesn't exist, but because you have no eyes to see him. You probably know Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf. And she was asked, how does she manage being blind and deaf? And she realized the best and the most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. And Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but people who aren't spiritual cannot receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they cannot understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Paul prays for the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, the eyes of the heart would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so the question, how do I get to see Jesus, is answered, and that it's the eyes of your heart would be opened up, not your natural, because with your natural, you only see natural thing, but with your spiritual eyes, you can see the spiritual. And, and so listen to the words of Jesus to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 40. Uh, the Lord Jesus says to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. When you recognize that, you know, I have heard about Jesus. I recognize that I am dead. I need help. When I see that I need this hope, I need this life, I need uh, only what Jesus can provide, I want to tell you with assurance that Jesus is only a prayer away. As you pray, as you tell him, I don't fully understand, I don't fully understand the entire thing, but this I know that I was blind, now I see. I don't fully understand, but this I know, I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. I, this I know that 
I am in a helpless state, I'm in sin, I'm sorrowing, I'm in, in a place where I can't help myself, I need you, O oh God, and he, he comes, and he's the one who helps. He's the one who saves. And so this Sunday, this Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus is risen, the grave is empty. The grave is empty so that our lives do not have to be empty. It can be filled with Jesus Christ who brings joy, peace, and comfort. And as you believe on him as the one who alone is the satisfier of all your desires, you can join with Mary to say that the undying hope is in Christ alone, that the unearned worth is found in Christ alone, that the unending life is in Christ alone, Alone, that the unbridled joy is in Christ alone. And I want to lead you with, leave you with two questions that you can ponder about. One is, um, how did Mary end up becoming the apostle to the apostles? How does, how do we, what do we learn from that? And if somewhere, someone were to ask you, what are the four things that you can tell me about your Jesus, what would they be? If this Jesus is real, may our mouths be filled with his praises. That is an overflow of a grateful heart. May his name be glorified. Father God, we want to thank you for your son. We thank you that he came searching, he came seeking, he came and he found some of us. There are yet some among us, Lord, and our friends and our relatives and probably even here who have no idea what all this means, but you, O oh God, are the seeker. You, O oh God, are the ones who sent your son. And today, as they've heard the good news of the gospel, we pray that they would respond. They would respond like Mary. They would look into the empty tomb and realize that he is not there, but because he is risen, and that he would rise in their hearts and give them that they would receive new life, <coughs> that they would trust him. They trust you a lot as the one, the only savior of the world. And we pray Oh, Father, that as we who have seen the Lord Jesus Christ and we have seen of his glory, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be overflowing with gratitude and that our mouths would not stop the praises of our King. And as we head out and into the, into the place, as we meet people who do not know about you, oh, Father, we pray that you would lead us to opportunities where we can talk about Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, the one who gives us undying hope, the one who gives us an unearned worth, the one who gives us unending life, and the one who gives us this unbridled uh, joy. We thank you, O Lord. We thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. And all God's people said, Amen.